There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in Tampa Ranch by the We still don't know who pulled the trigger. everyone and welcome to police off the cuff real crime stories i'm your host bill cannon retired nypd sergeant with 27 years of service tied out of manhattan north homicide squad you know today i i chose not to cover one of the national cases we've been covering uh there hasn't been a lot happening but i rather i chose to focus on the, the national war that i see it as a war on police and we're seeing it every day with these outrageous acts of violence against police across this nation. And it has something very much is interconnected with the way police are treated, mostly by politicians and by the government. When police are treated with disrespect or they're treated, they're questioned, um, they're defunded, they're, they're giving... Um, unreasonable rules to follow in order to do their job. And specifically, I'm referring to in New York City, the diaphragm law, you know, the end of qualified immunity, uh, bail reform. All of these things have made policing uh, a very, not just a difficult job, an impossible job. And a job that not only is physically taxing, but more mentally taxing than anything. When one did police ever have to worry as much as they do today with actually getting arrested on their job for doing their job correctly? Could you imagine police officers from my era that are listening right now putting a perp on the ground, putting your knee in his back and getting him handcuffed and, and you just committed an misdemeanor? That is so outrageous that the politicians that passed that should be eviscerated. They should be removed from office. Just total, 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 you know, I can't use any less stronger language than just morons. People that don't know what they're talking about. The woke, that word woke, yes, they're woke, you know, and they don't consider what it takes to, to control an adult or even a, a female, adult male or adult female that does not want to be handcuffed and does not want to be taken into custody. They have made the job so, so, so much harder for everyone that wants to put on that shield and carry that gun and protect the city of New York. And it, it's not just the city of New York. There's cities all over this nation who have what I consider a war on police. And you could see every city that crime has gone up double 20, 30, 40% in the seven major crimes. That's intolerable. So why does the electorate keep electing these politicians that enact these policies? I'm dumbfounded. You know, this week something outrageous just happened in Connecticut. Um, and it's, again, in a violent week, a grim sign is targeted killings of police rise. That's, that's right, the word targeted. In essence, they're called to an area by a 911 call, and they're ambushed. This is, this is outrageous, just outrageous. The shooting deaths of two Connecticut officers and wounding of a third 
punctuated an especially violent week for police across the U.S. and fit into a grim pattern. Even as more officers left their jobs in the past two years, the number targeted and killed still rose. According to organizations that track violence against police, 56 officers have been killed by gunfire this year, 14% more than this time last year, and about 45% ahead of 2020's pace. The country is on track for the deadliest year since 67 officers were killed in 2016. What is going on here? And uh, what, what I would surmise my dissertation would be is that the, the government is directly responsible for this in their lack of support of police, in their constantly criticizing police, and having expectations that are above and beyond a, a superman to do all the things that they expect the modern police officer to do. While the figures include a few officers killed by accidental gunfire, the number of ambushes in which police were injured or killed in surprise attacks with little chance to defend themselves had, has soared since 2020 and accounts for nearly half the officers killed this year. Such an attack apparently struck Wednesday in Bristol, Connecticut, where the state police said Bristol Police Sergeant Dustin DeMonte and Officer Alex Hamsey were killed and Officer Alex Irado was wounded when they responded to a 911 call that appears to have been a deliberate act to law, law enforcement to the scene. At least 11 police officers were shot around the country this week, including one fatally in Grenville, Mississippi, and another in Las Vegas. You know what the woke crowd would answer that? Eh, it's a dangerous job. They took the job. They knew what they were getting involved in. That is unacceptable, woke morons. That is unacceptable. It's not lost on the officers that the job they signed up for has become more dangerous. That has to be taking a significant mental toll on the agencies at large and the individual officers doing the work. An off-duty officer was among five people killed in a shooting rampage by a 15-year-old boy in Raleigh, North Carolina on a Thursday evening, but it wasn't clear the officer was targeted. In late June, a man in the Appalachian foothills of eastern Kentucky opened fire on officers serving a warrant in a domestic case, killing three and wounding five others, a scene that deputies called pure hell. The Fraternal Order of Police reported that through September 30th of this year, there had been 63 ambush-style attacks in which officers were wounded, with 93 officers shot, 24 fatally. That's a lower number of such attacks in the first nine months of 2021, when there were 75 ambushes of officers with 93 shot and 21 killed. The total number of ambushes in which police were hurt last year more than doubled. Uh, in 2020. Now you have to realize um, what law enforcement has been like in the past few years. You know, we we've had we had the riots. You know, the George Floyd riots, the Black Lives Matter riots, the Antifa riots. That Antifa doesn't exist, according to many. Um, and then we went right into COVID. Where remember in the beginning of COVID law enforcement, first responders, nurses, we're all heroes. How long did that last? Didn't last too long, right? Remember people banging on pots and pans when first responders would, or nurses and doctors would come home or leave for work. It was such a, a great feeling, right? But, you know, it's, 
all of that stuff has changed. And this this war on police is just, it's an outgrowth of the defund the police movement. And uh, if we look at it as such, uh, you know, yes, what does defund the police move, uh, mean? I think, you know, because the election is coming in November, all of the woke politicians that backed up the defund the police movement, they all know now that that's a, a bad political position to take. So they're all running for cover, denying that they ever, that they ever uh, were behind that. But we know who they are, you know, and the electorate should know who they are. And the electorate should make sure that folks like them never, ever get elected uh, because we know who they are. And uh, we can just pull up videotape of them saying, oh, yes, I'm behind to fund the police. Pull it up. And, and you, can, you, you can tell who you should and who you should not vote for. Um, I'm going to play a little bit of this press conference in regards to the Connecticut shooting of the uh, Connecticut police. R-I-S-T-I-N-E-J-E-L-T-E-M-A, Sergeant, Connecticut State Police. First of all, I want to thank you for your patience. The Connecticut State Police, Bristol Police Department, the Inspector General, and the Chief State's Attorney's Office wanted to ensure that we gathered the preliminary investigative details for you this morning. Preliminary investigation shows on October 12th at 10.29 p.m., Bristol Police Department received a 911 call to 310 Redstone Hill Road for a possible domestic between two siblings. When officers arrived, they were immediately met with a suspect outside of 310 Redstone Hill Road. Shots were fired, fatally wounding one officer on scene. Two other officers were transported to area hospitals. A second officer was pronounced deceased, and a third officer sustained serious injuries. The suspect was fatally shot and pronounced deceased at the scene. The suspect's brother was also shot and transported to an area hospital. His status at this time is unknown. This is an isolated incident, and we want the community to know that there is no threat to their community. At this time, I would like to turn it over to the Bristol Police Chief, Brian Gould. Thank you. Good morning. Brian Gould, B-R-I-A-N-G-O-U-L-D, Chief of Police, Bristol Police Department. Words cannot express the sadness and grief that brings me before you this morning. Sadly, we lost two exceptional Bristol police officers and a third was seriously injured as a result of senseless violence. My role at this point is to tell you about these wonderful, brave individuals. The details will be left up to the Connecticut State Police and the state's attorney's office who are investigating the incident further. Sergeant Dustin DeMonte hired in 2012. He was assigned to our patrol division and was a school resource officer at Green Hills and West Bristol schools. He was also an advisor for the Bristol Police Explorer Cadet Program. Throughout his career, he has received several awards 
including the Silver Star, Officer of the Month, and Co-Rich Recipient for Officer of the Year in 2019. He was very focused on his career and furthering his career and his education. And he held a bachelor's degree in criminology with a minor in psychology from Central Connecticut State University. Sergeant DeMonte was 35 years of age. He is survived by his wife, Laura, and his children, Phoebe and Porter, and one on the way, as well as his parents, Philip and Mona, in-laws, Anne-Marie and Jim, brother and sister, Philip and Michaela. Guys, I'm not going to play the whole um, press conference. I just, you get the feel, you get the sting of it. You feel the horror of it. I wish politicians would watch this every day in their chambers because it doesn't get through to them, uh, especially in the states where they really don't care about crime, especially in the states where district attorneys disregard prosecuting people. It's just, it's just outrageous, you know, and you see these, um, these targeted attacks against police officers. It's just, it's just hard to believe that it can really go on. You know, I take solace sometimes in looking at the past when I discuss these matters. And specifically, I'm referring to one of our biggest supporters here, and it's Lieutenant Peter Pranzo. And I know he first came on uh, the job in, I believe it was the 1960s or the early 70s. And he said, you know, all type of things on the job are cyclical. It gets real bad, but it always comes back. It does a full circle. And that's all we can hope is that it does come full circle and it comes back and and people uh, start to support the police rather than, you know, you see these signs defund the police and and there's still there's still people that uh, stand behind that. You know, one of the hardest things to even watch after the um, the George Floyd riots, to just watch all the attacks on police officers across the country, and especially in this city, you know, and watch New York City being destroyed as politicians just allowed it to happen, as they gave police the orders to do nothing, to stand back and do nothing. Very difficult to watch, you know, and um, just, I, I don't know where, you know, I don't know where we're going with this. Uh, where is it going to go? Where, you know, police, it's very difficult to get people to take the job now, uh, to go on the NYPD, not just the NYPD, nationally, to go on the police service. And it is a service, you know. No one's getting rich becoming a cop. You know, and it is a calling. Um, and, you know, it, it's so important for, to the police supporters to understand all this stuff, because as politicians use police to step on their backs to become, to get elected and to remain in power, so will they kick them to the side of the road when they're not important to them anymore. And many of these politicians use police again, to get regain and to stay in power. And it really is uh, disheartening to watch. 
seen the numbers, we've seen the media reports. There's been a historic rise in crime across the country that is only expected to get worse in the hot summer months. But right now, some police unions are sounding the alarm of a nationwide officer shortage. In New York City alone, new data is revealing that 1,500 officers have either resigned or retired so far this year. It's actually closer to 1,600 officers. Uh, that's up nearly 40% from this time last year, the largest mass departure on NYPD record. To help talk about exactly why uh, this wave of resignations is happening. I'm joined right now by retired NYPD detective and professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, Michael Alcazar. Thank you for being with us. Uh, first of all, I know the NYPD is pushing back on those numbers from the police union, saying that departures are only slightly higher than the previous year in 2021. But with the rise in crime, wouldn't this still point to a very dangerous situation? Yeah, this is not the time to lose police officers. Uh, historically, summer months are always the highest in crime, highest in shootings, highest in homicides. Uh, we're in track to hit that also. And we have, we're losing a lot of police officers. We, we also have poor recruitment. I had students that I teach in John Jay that normally are usually excited to get on the police department. This past April, I had three students that were supposed to go into the police academy and they turned it down. Uh, they're apprehensive. They're not sure if it's something they want to do anymore. And, and it's scary. They're asking me for advice and I don't give advice to my students. That's a decision. That's a life decision they have to make for themselves. If they're not ready, uh, I don't recommend they go into it. In terms of uh, a lot of departments actually pointing to the great resignation, you know, of course we're seeing more officers leave because people of every industry are leaving and retiring. But from what you're seeing, the numbers you're seeing are more police officers and members of law enforcement retiring earlier. Because when you are a police officer, typically you, you stay in it. You stay in it for decades. But are we seeing more officers actually turn in their badges before they would typically? Yeah, it's something I've actually never experienced or heard of where police officers are actually quitting in the police academy, quitting before they hit their 20 years. And then when you have the senior people that are eligible for retirement, meaning they've done their 20 years, like myself, I did 30 and I stayed because I enjoyed the job. Uh, when they're eligible to retire, they retire. They don't want to play pension roulette. They're not sure if they're going to get the backing of the department. The city council pretty much makes everything uh, like for the criminal. They don't support the police officers. They don't know if police officers don't know if qualified immunity is on the table. Do they have the protections? If they do their work properly, legally, are they going to be indemnified by the police department? And that's something they're asking themselves. So if they're not sure, they're leaving, they're retiring, and we're losing a lot of senior police officers that are valuable in training new young police officers. In terms of those uh, officers leaving at record numbers, we've seen the same thing happen here uh, in Chicago, where News Nation is based. Uh, officers who are not being recruited at the same level in Oakland, California, we're seeing similar situations where the uh, department does not feel supported by uh, the council members or the local community. Is there anything that can be done to turn this around? Well, in Philadelphia, they're going through the same thing. And I heard that they're thinking about bringing back retired police officers, meaning the retired police officers can collect their pension and then go back to work and earn a salary. And that sounds like desperation to me. I don't know if the, the New York City Police Department is thinking something like that, uh, but that's something they can look into. Uh, I don't know if police officers are willing to come back from retirement. Uh, police officers in New York are underpaid. They're underpaid and they're overworked because this shortage of police officers 
meaning now they have to answer more radio runs, more 911 calls, where the average police officer in NYPD used to handle like maybe eight to 10 jobs during their tour. I heard they're handling like 30 to 40 jobs, and it's a very wow. stressful job to begin with. And it's daunting, and, and it's it's bad on their their mental and, and physical welfare. So I think a lot of people, it's, to them, it's become just a job, and it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And their families don't want to do it anymore. Right. And I would I would love to keep talking with you. I would imagine the situation is different depending upon whether you live in a very large city like the ones we spoke about, or maybe if you live in and work in a community that's smaller, more rural. Uh, but 40 percent increase in robberies in the city of New York, uh, nearly 15 percent increase in rapes. Uh, obviously, police are busier than ever and they need more officers on the force than ever, according to those statistics. Michael, thank you so much for being with us this morning. You know, folks, you hear that the uh, the ramifications of uh, not having enough police, especially in a city like the city of New York. When I was uh, on the job, uh, the bellwether crime, the barometer crime, if you will, was robbery. And if robberies were up citywide, if robberies were up in a precinct, that was a good indication that your violence was up. Robberies are violent crime, although uh, District Attorney Bragg in Manhattan tries to make it a misdemeanor, you know, which is also a big problem. These decarceral um, policies of these district attorneys are just outrageous. It's, un- you know, it's unbelievable in our democratic system. And I'm going to put it out on the line is how a billionaire can affect elections, n- national elections and local elections by inserting his money into a race. Why should a billionaire be able to give a million dollars, say, for in the Manhattan DA's race, to brag to make sure that he wins? How, how is that democracy? I find it outrageous. And, you know, I know I'm getting a little bit political here, but, you know, something, the P in policing stands for politics, believe it or not. And when people say, oh, I don't want to get political. Oh, really? If you're a cop, then you better take the P out of it because the P stands for politics, and that's for sure. But there's so many things that have happened very quickly, bad things to the police. What are the ramifications of all of this? these woke policies on the police? Bail reform. Bail reform. On its face, when people explain that, oh, that's just to ensure that the defendant shows up in court. And why should someone who is poor sit in jail uh, until their case comes up when someone who is rich can just post the the, uh, bail money and get out? On its face, that sounds reasonable. But when you have dangers to the community, a judge should be able to remand someone who did a robbery first degree with a gun, which Bragg says isn't dangerous. It's not, you know, he'll, he can drop that to a misdemeanor as long as they didn't fire the gun and hurt somebody. I find that outrageous. I really find that he needs to go, you know, uh, he really needs to go. Anyone that with that type of philosophy, you know, some of these other woke policies, I don't know if you guys have been really paying attention, but if you hear of violence interrupters, if you hear of that concept, violence interrupters, Does anyone know what that is? These are people that are paid a salary who are former gangbangers and shooters themselves. And when a neighborhood is experiencing a lot of shootings, they go and talk to the gangbangers because they know all about gangbanging. 
and they try to get them to stop shooting. It's the most ridiculous, ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And I'm sure there is no statistics anywhere that show that it works. And if there are, I'm sure they doctor them because there is, there is no proof that gangbangers or violence interrupters go and talk to other gangbangers and, oh, it's going to stop the shootings because they understand gangbanging, you know? It's just a money grab. It's a money grab by the left, by the woke, and it's really disgraceful. And this is what, this is what we... Um, Oh, man, this is what we as the public, as the electorate, this is what we have to put up with. You know, in, in New York metropolitan area, in New York State, um, the Democrats in, enjoy a huge uh, a huge advantage in, in, in these elections. Um, in the gubernatorial election, we have uh, Lee Zeldin, the Republican, and we have Hochul, who uh, was the state attorney general, um, excuse me, not the attorney general, the um, the uh, deputy to um, Andrew Cuomo. And he appointed her after he had to leave in disgrace, the sexual abuse disgrace. He appointed her as governor. So she's sort of waiting. She's never been elected, but this is her first election. And she is behind all of these bail reform, these woke policies, the decarceral policies. Um so, you know, I, just, I think and I hope that the electorate, the electorate will wake up and, and vote her out and Lee Zeldin in because um, it's, if she gets reelected, it's really bad for policing. It's really bad. And um, well, well, we, we can only hope, you know, uh, and it also has to do with people that actually show up and vote, show up to the polls and vote. That's a big problem in New York City, New York State. People just don't vote. Officers in Connecticut were killed in what's being called an apparent ambush. The veteran officers were gunned down overnight in Bristol. A third was seriously wounded but survived. Police say they were responding to a possible fake 911 call for a domestic dispute between brothers. CBS's Lilia Luciano reports from a city in mourning. They said they have an officer involved shooting their backup. A suspect allegedly wearing camo and wielding an AR-15 style rifle opened fire on police as they responded to a 911 call. Authorities say it was a deliberate act to lure officers in. It sounded like some 4th of July, you know, it was really loud, like, and, and just repeatedly, like, da, 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 da. Sergeant Dustin DeMonte and Officer Alex Hamsey were killed. Officer Alec Durado was wounded and rushed to surgery. Our police department has been rocked. Into our community, we value our partnership. We need your support. Officer Hamzy celebrated his first wedding anniversary this summer. Sergeant DeMonte leaves behind two children and his wife is expecting their third child. Officer Durado was released from the hospital this morning to applause. State police identified the gunman as Nicholas Brucher, who was killed. His brother Nathan was wounded. I just can't believe that someone would just shoot someone like that. Just this week, across the country, four law enforcement officers have been killed and six wounded by gunfire. 54 officers have been killed so far this year, compared to 62 in all of last year. 
The Bristol community held a packed vigil tonight at the high school where Officer Hamzy graduated from. As this community keeps waiting for answers to try and make sense of the unexplainable. Nora. Crazy. Let's talk about um, the ramifications of all of this, the um, violence against police, and which in turn breeds the reluctance of police officers to do enforcement work. Why would you put yourself out there to enforce the law when you met with all of this opposition? Do you guys remember when they were talking about New York City officers um, uh, having to wear body-worn video? Remember, that was supposed to be something that they were going to negotiate as a contractual thing because it changes... The job of police work it changes uh changes a lot of things you know and i don't know exactly how that works you know when a police officer gets out of a car when he interacts with someone when does he have to turn that body worn video camera on and when is he expected not to turn it on those are all things that an officer can be disciplined for oh you didn't turn your camera on but just imagine that just imagine any profession, you know, you can be a doctor, a nurse, a school teacher, a lawyer, um, an engineer. Just imagine having to wear a camera on your left breast that not only re uh, records the video of what you do, but also the audio. So your interactions, your spoken interactions are also, what other job you think could endure that is there any other job that could endure wearing body worn video at work i i don't know i mean i think it's uh it's unique to policing but guess what it's wound up helping the police more than hurting them it's showing the interactions they have and it's showing the split second decisions they must make in a lot of these encounters and so instead of it being a negative thing, I think that it's it's turned out to be a positive thing. Um, so body-worn video, it's not that's not the only other video out there either. Besides body-worn video, there's handheld video by every, whenever there's a police and uh, public encounter, every... Every person on the street has their cell phone camera out and they're videotaping the whole encounter. In fact, even in, in not getting involved and, or helping the police when they could use the help, the idiots are there with their cell phone cameras videotaping it, you know? And that's, you know, and you hear some of the idiots yelling world star and all that other stupid stuff, you know? Uh, Here's another moron, abolish the police. You know, it's it's just like when you see a lot of these protesters, most of them are of college or just got out of college. They're of unemployment age. And like what you, you question, like, what are they actually doing with their lives? Is this how they're spending their weekends? You know, walking around with signs, abolish the police, defund the police. You know, that other sign they post all the time, a cab, all cops are bastards. Like, you know. Where did where did they you know who raised these kids to do this you know it's 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 amazing to me um, 
some of the things that were taken away from police in, in what I call this national war on police, um, they were they were forced to wear body one video, which has turned out to be not a bad thing for the police department. Um, the diaphragm law is one of the worst pieces of legislation ever written by a group of communists I've ever seen in my life. You know, that's the New York City Council. That's the that's the law where officers, when they make an arrest, they can't put their knee into the back of the perpetrator, which in a violent trying to get someone handcuffed, it's it's the only way to do it. It's the only way to control that person. It's 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 just re outrageous. Uh Anthony Kendall, Bill, we have to record a cell extraction all looking to blame you. You know, I, I think, Anthony, maybe some of that stuff came from corrections. And because corrections, they always get blamed for using too much force. So their idea to protect their rank and file was to record these interactions they had with violent inmates. Um, so we're talking, we're still talking about the diaphragm law. There's been instances where cops really were just uh, putting themselves in such danger, trying to adhere to that policy. Um, the other thing is no chokeholds. And on its face, that rule or that edict by the city council, no chokeholds, seems, seems okay. But if you're fighting for your life in a fight to the death with a perp, and you need to choke this guy out, are you going to then be facing felony assault charges? Shouldn't it be looked at on a case-by-case -case basis, not across the board? No chokeholds, you know. And, of course, that came from the Eric Garner case um, where um, uh, Pantaleo, um, what was his name, Michael Pantaleo, he um, he brought him down, and it appeared it was called a chokehold. I don't think it really was. Um, I don't think it really was a chokehold. But uh, once the media names something, something uh, they they get to you know they get to uh, call it what it is. You know, um, so it's you know I'm I'm going to just show you a little bit of that video. I'm sure we everyone has seen. Uh, Everyone's seen this video a million times because it was all over the national media. Uh, and this also caused part of that, what I refer to as the war on policing. This video was shown more times. I'm going to play it right now. Learned that Attorney General William Barr made the ultimate call to not bring federal charges today against a white New York City police officer in the chokehold death of Eric Garner, a man whose last words were, I can't breathe. Jeff Begay's tonight on Barr's decision and the anguish it's causing his family. But he was killed on the streets! Moments after hearing the decision, Eric Garner's daughter stormed out of the federal courthouse. Federal cops don't want to prosecute! Nobody wants to help! Nobody accountable! Five years ago tomorrow, NYPD police officers confronted Eric Garner over allegations he was illegally selling cigarettes in Staten Island. The arrest was captured by a cell phone camera. Within seconds, Officer Daniel Pantaleo had wrapped his arms around Garner's neck. 
Garner's cries of I can't breathe 11 times are among the last words he spoke before his death. Today, federal prosecutors said the videotape alone was not enough to prove the officers had committed a federal crime. And the evidence here does not support charging police officer Daniel Pantaleo or any other officer with a federal criminal civil rights violation. Garner's mother, Gwen Carr, has called for the officers to be held accountable. This is an outrage, an insult to injury. You killed my son and you won't get away with it. Jeff Begays joins us now. So why did the attorney general have to make this decision? Well, we learned today that the Civil Rights Division within DOJ wanted to bring charges in this case, but the Eastern District of New York did not. And ultimately, A.G. Barr, after watching the videotape multiple times, sided with EDNY. Nora, it is important to note that there is a separate NYPD internal investigation into Officer Pantaleo's actions. Commissioner James O'Neill will decide if the officer should be fired, likely by the end of next month. Jeff Pegues, thank you. CBS News. So, folks, we all knew, we all knew that case, and uh, the end of it was that. Excuse me, it was Daniel Pantaleo. At the end of the case, the outcome was that uh, Daniel Pantaleo uh, was in fact fired from the NYPD. Uh, he wasn't. Um, he wasn't prosecuted, but he was dismissed from the NYPD. Um, we had been told that um, they were going to dismiss him and let him keep his pension, but that didn't happen. Uh, uh, there was some apparently under the table moves made, uh, you know, in the last um, before the the final decision was made. But that was another case I think that caused what we talk about as. Um, the national war on police the the um that the police you, you know are brutal that the police um you know i, I sometimes i i would ask people in that instance non-police in the eric garner case um what were they supposed to do when you're the police and you're enforcing a law and you say put your hands behind your back and the woman says the person says not today I ain't going today. Are you supposed to just leave and go home and say, I oh, will get him tomorrow? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, in my time on the job, of course not. Uh, but you go, got to be very careful about putting your hands on someone, right? Um, I think Eric Garner had um, a lot of underlying health issues. Obviously, he was obese. Um, you know, if you get someone that size excited, they could very easily have a heart attack. I don't know exactly what um, the cause of his death was. I think it was probably cardiac arrest, but they I think they ruled it as a homicide, which means simply death caused by another. And it doesn't necessarily have to be criminal. But that video was shown, and I, I, and I believe the media enjoys showing it over and over and over again. To pour gasoline on the the hatred toward the police because all they did was play that scene twenty four seven and especially a lot of the real left wing channels like MSNBC, CNN, uh, a lot of the networks 
they played that 24 seven and they took great joy in playing it. And, um, you know, it was, it, it, it was, it was disturbing. Look, even a non-police officer watching that, uh, it, it's disturbing. It's disturbing to watch. No one wants to see someone lose their life, you know, but, uh, it resulted as, you know, the incident, um, the George Floyd incident, as that painted police on a national level with a broad brush and, you know, the whole defund the police movement came out of that. Um, Rich Will, the duty to intervene is scary as hell. What if an officer in a struggle for his life uses a technique that is not approved out of desperation and now all the other cops on the scene are liable? Rich Will, you, you, you're 100% right because they could also charge police acting in concert. You know, that, that big thing that we use uh, when perps plan something and they act together, they could call that as police officers. If you're trying to arrest someone and someone dies as a result, can they charge the other police as almost conspirators or acting in concert that facilitated this person's death? And that, Rich Will, I feel you, man. I understand. I totally understand where the reluctance sometimes, you know, let me play. This to me was one of the most disgusting things that I've ever seen on the NYPD. And I really, it's it, it's a black eye for the NYPD. It's just, it's disgusting. And you'll recognize it right away as soon as I play it. been a sharp rise in carjackings, robberies, and violent crime. Now, correspondent Dre Clark joining us here in studio tonight with this special report. And Dre, the exodus is prompting departments to scramble to hire new recruits. Yeah, this is a very serious uh, concern here, and it's ha happening all across the country with different police departments. And across the country, we've heard from police departments that say they are in crisis with officers leaving the force in droves due to burnout from low pay, long hours, and low morale. The staffing shortages leave communities vulnerable. And we are told there's no easy or quick fix. It will take months, if not years, for most departments to return to full staffing levels. They feel tired, overworked, um, stretched uh, to the breaking point. There's a lot of morale issues, um, and it all goes back to the staffing shortage. So many people have left our department that uh, it's not uncommon for you to be put on hold and then wait four or five minutes to get someone to answer a 911 call. In many departments across the country, we're told low morale is intertwined with steep budget cuts and the lack of public support in the wake of defund the police. I think uh, the officer today in the city, they don't feel supported by some of the local politicians, even by uh, some of the command staff within the department. Tracy McCray was a police officer for nearly 30 years. Now, as president of the San Francisco Police Officers Association, she points to funding cuts as a major issue facing the SFPD. We actually had 120 million taken from the police budget here in San Francisco to give to, I believe, the community or other programs. Despite these challenges, the calls for help haven't stopped, creating a perfect storm for officers on the streets. The ones that you do have out working the street are taxed because they're having to stay longer. They're having to deal with more calls because nobody stopped calling us. Staffing shortages have led police departments like Austin, Texas, to reallocate resources. Our detectives that work in 
child abuse, robbery, homicide, who are very, very busy these days have just been told, we're sorry, but you're going to have to leave your caseload and go back to the streets to answer 911 calls. Detective Ken Cassidy is president of the police union in Austin, Texas. He says the Austin Police Department is down 400 officers from a high of 1900 just three years ago. With police officers working 60 to 80 hours a week to make up for the shortage, they are feeling the effects. It's not only the defund movement, it's the it's the negative comments. We don't need you. Your boss, your mayor telling you that I hope there's a day that you're no longer needed. Cassidy says his union is struggling to meet the needs of officers grappling with overwork and exhaustion. We have officers working five days a week, 12-hour shifts. Nearly 4,000 miles away in Hawaii, Lieutenant Robert Cavaco is facing the same situation, and he believes it's making the community less safe. Crime has gone up specifically to robberies and, and, and sex assaults. It's the violent crime. In Maui, the police department needs 100 more officers to be at full staff. We may not have enough officers to fulfill the, the calls for service. I'm not trying to be dramatic, but we may come to a point where, you know, we may have to call back and say, we can't service you right now, you know, if it's not a a dire emergency. The immediate solution, departments tell us, is recruitment and retention. But more importantly, the police and the communities they serve need each other. People want to feel safe and officers want to feel valued. The profession in itself is in a dire it's in a dire crisis. I represent 2,000 men and women who come in every day and try to do their best. Do we get it right all the time? No. But when we don't, we own up to it. But we still come back the next day to do our job to serve the people in the city. So many departments facing the same struggles from small towns to big cities. It's a growing predicament and a story we will continue to follow. And Natasha, tomorrow night, we will take a closer look at the different ways police departments are using to retain and recruit more police officers to fill those vacancies that are numbered in the thousands in some places. Interesting. And why don't we start there? What tactics have police departments been using to try to recruit more people? Incentives like money. And for example, in Phoenix, Arizona, there's a $7,500 signing bonus. Base salary, 68000 can go as high as 105000 Here in Chicago, they're offering reimbursement for education. You want to get your bachelor's, your master's, your doctorates, or even go to law school. They'll pay for it in full. And so these are the types of things they're doing to try and get people to join the police department. But right now, morale is low and uh, they're having a difficult time. Can I ask, what surprised you the most in your conversations uh, with all of these police union presidents? In Austin, Texas, talking to the president of that union, I said to him, you know, this all stems from relations, bad relations between the police and the community. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when police officers are accused of wrongdoing, the police unions won't say anything. Mm. They'll either stand with the officer that's been accused of wrongdoing or they'll just remain silent. He said, not in Austin, Texas. We don't do that. We hold our officers accountable. So when they do wrong, we let them know you do wrong, but we also stand by them. That was surprising because you don't oftentimes hear that from union heads when it comes to police officers. All right, Drake Clark, such an important story, and um, I look forward to watching tomorrow. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So there you, there you have it. I mean, what I was referring to was that attack on that transit officer. Uh, that was well-documented. We watched that. It played on almost every damn channel. Uh, and it was, it was really disturbing to watch because
not only the fact that the um, perp attacked the officer, but that the officer's response I thought was so lame uh, that you know I think it was it stemmed from both being afraid to use the amount of force he needed to, and B that he wasn't um, he wasn't prepared to fight this kid. You know, uh, it was it was tough to watch. It was it was really really tough to watch. And you know, in transit, I'm gonna play. Actually, I'm gonna play the the whole thing because. I thought I had the whole, because it's really a, a it's really a horrible thing to watch, but I think it's it's necessary to see what our officers are up against down down in the subway, which is a real tough to place to patrol. Battle violence a lot in New York City tonight. A closer look at violent crime on mass transit. Crime there just two percent of overall crime in the country's biggest city, but major crimes this year so far are up transit system in the country up by a huge amount. As we saw this weekend, two cops punched several times, assaulted by a teenager who was fair hopping. I'm with news reporter NJ Burkett, live at the scene on the Upper East Side. NJ. Right, Bill, this incident happened on the Lexington Avenue line at the 125th Street subway station. Officers say they spotted the teen jumping a turnstile, confronted him about it, and then apparently asked him to leave the subway station. They say he refused to do that, and what happened next was captured on cell, on cell phone video. Officers say the team turned on them in a rage. And for several minutes, it was pandemonium in the 125th Street station. He could be seen throwing punches and landing punches as the officer struggled to arrest him. He will eventually be subdued and taken into custody and then released within 24 hours without posting bail. MTA Chairman Jan Lieber. I don't understand how the law would permit that guy to be released. When he has two priors, he's already out on the street for, to have him immediately released for that attack on a police officer, I don't get it. I know our riders don't get it. Police officials say the officers were attacked after they spotted the teen jumping the turnstile with his girlfriend, that he lashed out at them after they told the couple to leave the subway station. One of two attacks on NYPD transit officers this past weekend. NYPD Transit Chief Jason Wilcox told MTA board members that assaults on his officers have skyrocketed this year. In many cases, while officers were attempting to enforce so-called quality of life infractions. We have seen over a 55% increase in assaults on police officers this year. The majority of these assaults on police officers began as the officers were engaging persons who had committed fair evasion and or other quality of life violations on the trains and stations. In the Harlem incident, Police say the same teen had two recent prior arrests, including one case where he was arrested with several others in possession of a loaded 40 caliber gun and a crossbow. The criminals underground know they can get in a brawl, choke a cop, and be back out in hours, said PBA President Patrick Lynch. Cops are putting ourselves on the line to make the subway safer, but we are feeling abandoned by a justice system that won't back us up, end quote. Matthew Rue shot the video. I just want to make sure, you know, there was a witness for anything that happened that shouldn't have happened and anything that could have happened that didn't happen. The officers were later treated for cuts and bruises and released. Police sources tell me that the entire incident was captured on the officers' body cams and that, in fact, those body cam videos show the officers trying to de-escalate the situation before the teen started throwing punches. Sort of, sort of disgraceful, huh? 
disgusting. But that's what the police are up against, you know, and, and a with a uh, a city government that doesn't back them up, um, whether it's in New York City, whether it's in Chicago, whether it's in Baltimore, whether it's in Washington, D.C., whether it's in Seattle. Wow, is there any... Uh, is there anything those cities have in common? Yeah, I think you know what they have in common. Um, Rich Will, in many departments, punching someone is not in the force continuum and therefore not an approved defense. That's ridiculous. Any d- department that has that, I'm not going to be on that one. Someone punches me. They, you know, I, I criticize this officer. I would that kid. I would have went airborne by his hair if he if he was if I was the cop involved in that. Really. I would have swung him around like a, forget it. I mean, he just, you know, the guy's punching him in the face. Departments are not going to allow him to defend himself. I find that hard to believe, first of all. But uh, if that's not in the force continuum, that's not the department I want to be on. That's a a woke police department that that deserves whatever they get if that's their policy. Really disgraceful. so, you know, this is what we're facing. This is what the police department is facing in this election year. Um, you know, how we got here, we all know the history of it. Uh, bail reform, DAs that refuse to prosecute, um, parole of murderers. That's another beautiful thing, right? Paroling murderers, it's happening all the time now. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you like this um, this show, uh, policing according to real crime stories, actually, according to a police perspective, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. And if you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels and a YouTube channel memberships with, count them, five different levels, and you can support us uh, you can support us that way. Um, I'm very passionate about this. And I, 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 when I see bad things happening to the police, I look towards others that are to blame for, for the lack of support and also the criticism that they get from many politicians. It just creates a bad, bad atmosphere. Uh, so, you know, Whenever you can support the police, the police really uh, appreciate any support they can get from the community. Um, Folks, if you're looking for a great attorney in the New York City metropolitan area, Joe Murray is your man. Uh, Joe Murray is a retired NYPD police officer who also became a great defense attorney. You can call him on his cell at 718-514-3855. Can email him at j at jmurray-law.com or go on his website, jmurray-law.com. Joe Murray, attorney at law, a great friend of uh, police off the cuff and a, a great attorney. Um, Amanda uh, Amanda Simpson loves Joe Murray. Axel the Cat, yes, I know. I, I, I don't know, Axel the Cat, I don't know what your mom's problem is no, no one blocked her i checked no one blocked her from being coming on it must it's got to be on her um on her end something is going wrong tell her to email me at police off the cuff one 
the number one at gmail.com and I'll see if I can help. But I looked into it this morning and, and uh, she's not, uh, she's not blocked in any way. Folks, I want to, um, I want to thank everyone for coming by today. This is um, a topic that's like near and dear to my heart. Uh, And I, you know, and I, I hope that things get better for the, for the police on, um, on a national level, it's just, it's just such an important, just such an important topic. It it, it really is. Uh, Jay Johnson in Charleston, West Virginia, earlier this year, a piece of crap who shot and killed a female officer was uh, only convicted of second degree murder and sentenced to four years. He'll be out in less than 20. It's disgraceful. It's really disgraceful. Folks, again, uh, thank you so much for listening in. Uh, This has been Bill Cannon with Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Have a great day, and God bless.